And great to be speaking to you once again. This term, if you've not been with us, we've been going through the book of Acts, which is in the New Testament, the Bible, and it describes the experience of the very first Christians. And in the first three chapters that we've been looking at over the last couple of months, it's been going great. The Christians, first of all, they have a wonderful experience of the Holy Spirit. God himself comes to be with them, and the community is birthed out of that. And they have this wonderful sense of God's love. They do miracles. And we've been looking at how they sort of had everything in common. They were generous to one another. And it just gives this snapshot of this idyllic community. And then last week, when we got to chapter 4, we started to see they step into a bit of difficulty. It's not as straightforward as they step out from their community and into uh, the wider society. And that could be something of the pattern it might feel like for those of us who are Christians here today as well. We come here on Sunday, and we have a great time, and we sing songs of worship to Jesus, and we hear some teaching from the Bible, and we meet with one another, and we all get on, and yeah, I think we all get on. Uh, it's, It's great. And then Monday morning comes. And then we step into our workplaces or different scenarios where it's not quite as easy to be a Christian. And sometimes we can step into difficulty. Sometimes we can even step into hostility. How do we navigate that? Could be the case that you're here as someone who's not a Christian, and maybe you're looking into these things. And you're thinking, well, this message of Jesus, it sounds great, God's love and everything like that. But you also know if you became a Christian, oh, life might not be straightforward. There might be costs involved because perhaps it's not easy to be a Christian in this day and age. And that's right to think that through. Jesus even said, you need to count the cost if you're going to follow me. And that was the experience of the first Christians. They lived in a world that didn't understand them and didn't know this Jesus. And that sometimes even created conflict. And so we're going to look about how they navigated that. And we're going to listen now from the passage in Acts chapter 4. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them and evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. (coughs) But in order that it may spread no fervor among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had fervor threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. 
There we go. We've, been, we've called this series The World Turned Upside Down, and we've been asking the question as we go through, how is it that Christianity spread in the way it did from the first century? And one of the answers that you could give, very powerful answer, is it's the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we've been reflecting on that over the last few weeks. And what, one of the outcomes of that is the disciples who at the beginning of the book of Acts, we read, were sort of gathered together after Jesus' ascension and sort of praying together. But then the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they start to speak. They speak to their community. They speak about the message of Jesus, who Jesus is, that he's the son of God, that he's come into the world, that he's lived a life, he's died on the cross, but he's risen again. And they boldly proclaim that the resurrection vindicates the fact that Jesus is the son of God. And the only one in whom salvation can be found. And the people around them start to notice this Christianity springing up. And the Jewish religious leaders, as we read about just now, they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do with these Christians. And they have a, a few comments. Of, well, they, they throw them in prison. We looked at that last week. And it has a few descriptions of what they saw. It says, verse 13, they saw that Peter and John, two of the disciples... They spoke with such boldness, even though they knew they weren't religiously educated people. Verse 13 as well says, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And verse 16, a notable sign, a miracle was performed that no one could deny. Everyone was praising God because of it. And so what we have here is we have ordinary men, confident in this message of Jesus, boldly declaring it, confident that the character of Jesus as well, they recognized they'd been with Jesus, and they had power, power to do healings. What are we seeing here? What we're seeing is ordinary Christianity. Ordinary confidence in Jesus, character like Jesus, and power. Because Jesus said to his disciples, right back at the beginning of Acts, Acts Chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And that's my first point here this morning, that the Holy Spirit empowers Christians to be his witnesses. We've been talking a lot about the Holy Spirit over these last few weeks. And, and it's true that in the New Testament, in the Bible, there's many things that it says that the Holy Spirit does in the life of a Christian. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He teaches us the truth about Jesus, John 14. The Holy Spirit, says in Jude, helps us to pray. 1 Thessalonians, it says that the Holy Spirit comforts us with the love of God also says the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, he helps us to walk in obedience and say no to sin and temptation. And in Romans 8, it talks about how the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit fills us, it gives us a sense, an experiential knowledge of the love of God so that we cry, Abba, Father. We know God as Father by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit does lots of things in the life of a Christian, but central. And what Jesus says to his disciples when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses. We mustn't neglect that. We mustn't forget that. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit to witness about Jesus. 
like Peter and John did, to tell others about who he is, what he's done, his resurrection, and the gospel message, the good news about him. So if you're a Christian here today, and you've experienced this filling of the Holy Spirit, Jesus has filled you with his Holy Spirit so that you can know the love of God. But also, he has filled you, not just to demonstrate his love for you, but because he loves the people in your life. He loves your friends, your colleagues, your family members that don't know him. That's why he's filled you with the Holy Spirit, so that you can witness to them about Jesus. And that's what it says. We've been talking. How did the world get turned upside down? How did Christianity spread? How did it go from this group of believers in the first century to take on the whole Roman Empire and then spread right around the world like it has done today? How does that happen? It happens one person at a time. That's how the gospel message of Jesus spreads. It spreads through Christians. It's crazy. It's shocking. Why would Jesus entrust ordinary people with the message of Christianity and said, right, the way it's going to be spread around the world is, is through you. you. You tell other people about me. But that is what he's done. And I was reflecting on this just this week, and it reminded me of this story, the famous story in the Gospels, of Jesus feeding the 5,000. I say Jesus feeding the 5,000, because when I read it again, I realized Jesus didn't feed the 5,000. Have you noticed this before? It says in Matthew 14, we've got this famous story. Jesus, he, crowds were gathering, and often Jesus went to a desolate place. And it says he did that, but the crowds found him anyway. And it says rather than being cross with them, it says Jesus had compassion on these crowds. And so he healed many of them, and he was teaching, and it got to late in the day. And the disciples said, we're here in this desolate place. It's late in the day. The people, we've got no food. You need to send them away. And Jesus said, what did it say? Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. It's like, what? There's 5,000 plus people here. And there's no food except a packed lunch, basically. The disciples are like, what are you talking about, Jesus? You see, Jesus, he's the way, the truth, the life. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the hope beyond death. He is eternal life. He's the prince of peace. Jesus is the one that every single person in the world needs so desperately. The only one in whom salvation can be found. And yet, he came into this world. He lived for 33 years. And during those three of those last years, he taught his disciples and did many miracles. And then he died on the cross and, and rose again. And then what did he do at that point? Did he start his world tour of showing himself as resurrected to the whole world and speaking about himself? No, he didn't. He appeared to his disciples and many others, and then he ascended to heaven. What, what sort of a plan is this? But he hands it over to his disciples. And what does he say? You be my witnesses. You, you tell them. And it's just like the feeding of the 5,000. We have people in front of us. Jesus, you're the one they need, but Jesus says, no, you, you feed them. And this idea of the, the, the disciples telling people about Jesus, is the, how is the world going to know, be my witnesses to the ends of the earth? This is not a great plan here. These are just ordinary people. And, and if it was just up to them, of course, it's a stupid plan. <laughs> he said, no, you'll receive power. 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses. With man, it's impossible. But with God, it's possible. And it's just like the feeding of 5,000. You know, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. The disciples, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. And they answered, bring them here to me, said Jesus. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people. You feed them. (laughs) You feed them. And you would think like years later, people might have come to the disciples, come to Peter and said, Peter, wow, you fed 5,000 people. And Peter, of course, would have said, well, well, sort of. I just handed out some bread. Jesus did the miracle. Yeah. Now, fast forward from that encounter to Acts chapter 4, earlier on in the chapter we just heard. Peter's preaching. And what does it say in in verse 4? And many of those who heard the word believed, I never noticed this before, the number of men came to about 5,000. Wow, Peter, you saw 5,000 people saved. Well, I just talked about Jesus. Jesus did the miracle. So the Holy Spirit is doing the miracle, but he involves Peter, he involves the disciples. And what did they do? They spoke about. They spoke about Jesus. Verse 20, we've read it. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. See, Jesus, he's the bread of life. And we live in a starving world. People in our world are starved of truth. They're starved of hope. They're starved of the life and life eternal that only Jesus can bring. And Jesus, if you're a Christian, Jesus, he's given himself to you. He's given himself. And he's filled you with the Holy Spirit. So that when you speak about Jesus to others, it's like you're handing out the bread. (laughs) Hey, what I have received, I want to give to you because it's life-changing. It's the bread of life. This is Jesus. And it's a crazy plan. But this is, this is Jesus' plan, that the church should be the witnesses of him in the world. And the world has turned upside down. The world has never been the same since. And it involves you and me. It involves us telling others about him. In one sense, I've made it sound simple there. And the way it is simple. If you're a Christian, God has filled you with the Holy Spirit so that you can tell other people about him. I want to encourage you today to speak about Jesus with your friends and with your family and with your colleagues and with your neighbor and people in your life. Tell them about Jesus. How are they going to know about Jesus unless we tell them? This is Jesus' plan in the world. It's simple. But, it, but it's not easy. It's not easy. And even for Peter and John here, it's not easy. Another feature of this passage that we've just had read to us is that there is a battle going on. It's a spiritual battle. They've been thrown in prison for speaking about Jesus. And it's interesting to ask the question, why did they, why did they get thrown in prison? Was it because they were preaching? Mm, not actually. Many people might have been preaching. Is it because they did a miracle? Well, no, it says that people were praising God because of the miracles. No one could deny it happened. 
That's not why they got thrown in prison. Why did they get thrown in prison? It says it in verse 17, 18. These religious authorities said, but in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Verse 18, so they called them and charged them to speak, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. That was the thing that challenged. That was the thing that got them into trouble. Speaking in the name of Jesus. What does it mean, the name of Jesus? We're talking about the authority of Jesus. We're talking about the power of Jesus. We're talking about allegiance to Jesus and claiming that his name is above every other name. And that is what gets them into trouble. You see, every society has authorities. And in some cases, in some parts of the world, the authority is the the political or the military leader enforces obedience on its people. For the first Christians in the first century, there, there was the Roman Empire. They were an occupied people. So that was an authority, but they also had the Jewish religious leaders who were very concerned about how people behaved as well as what they said. These are the things you can say. These are the things you can't say. Well, we we have that today as well. In a Western context here, there are authorities. And I think in the last few years in particular, we have seen an increase in the sense of a sort of new moral, ethical authority governing how people should speak, what to say, what not to say. And it's in that environment that I think Christians particularly, and many other groups as well, but think, oh, this is a not an easy environment to be a Christian like it was before. It's difficult to be a witness here today. You know, maybe in generations gone by, Christians in this country or in our city like this might have thought, well, Christians, they're just irrelevant. You know, people might mock Christians for what they have to say, but they're harmless, really. But have we seen in the last few years that Christians are seen increasingly as dangerous? They're a problem because of what they believe about life and people and that sort of thing. And it's in that environment we can feel as Christians, oh, I, I better not say anything. I better not even admit that I'm a Christian in my workplace because it could land me in trouble. Well, Peter and John, they were told, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Stop claiming that that's an authority around here. And what do they say? They say, we can't obey you. We can't obey you because we obey Jesus. Because we follow Christ. They didn't make it into a big moral campaign. They didn't make that the issue but they said, essentially, you can accuse us what, of what you like, but we're going to speak about Jesus. We're going to speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. We're not going to take a step back. We're going to stand firm. What does that look like for us in this context that we live in today as Christians? There are many authoritative voices happening. One example would be, in schools right now, in secondary schools and primary school, very authoritative voices coming in, speaking about the issues of men and women and marriage and family and things like that. We must be alert to that. It comes with authority and it's teaching truths that, as Christians, we know are not truths. Parents, we've got a job on our hands. 
to teach what Jesus says. To teach the truth. The Bible gives us instruction about these things. And we can feel the pressure of the society in which we live. But we need to look at what Peter and John said. Well, we can't take that on board because Jesus has given us something. We've seen something in Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we're following him. And so we must teach our children about the truth. We must teach them love and respect for others, of course. But we also must teach them the truth about what the Bible says. We live in a time that rejects what's in the Bible. Of course we do. And we can feel, even as Christians, feel the pressure. Well, okay, this is what the world's saying now. It's just easier to go along with that. No, no, it's an authority. And if we're not careful, it can take the place of Jesus and his authority in our lives. What did Peter and John say? They said, we can't listen to you. We can't listen to the world because we listen to God. Yeah, yes, yes, as Christians, we must love the world. Of course. But we mustn't make the mistake of listening to the world in the sense that taking on board everything it's saying to us. No, no, we listen to Jesus. We love the world, we listen to Jesus. And by listening to Jesus, we believe actually we love the world even better. And so this, this, is, what, this is the situation we're in. This is the battle, perhaps, it can feel like. You know, some of you will, in your workplaces, you'll have, maybe even this week, inclusivity training. We'll be speaking to you about different ideas, about gender and things like that. How are you going to respond? Asking you to affirm ideologies that you know if you're Bible-believing Christian, it doesn't match. What, what are you going to do? I've, I've been in that situation a few years ago as a school teacher, and they brought us all into the assembly hall as teachers and had the local charity come in and speak to us about these issues. And I sat there and I listened respectfully to it. But I can't affirm it. I can't take it on. I can't say, no, this is, this is right and good, because well, I listen to Jesus. He tells me a different story. He tells me the truth. He tells me a much better story about life and who we are and what truth is. And he's my authority. He's my authority. However forcefully other ideas may, may come, if not based on Christ, we should not give them authority in our lives. And Peter and John, they felt the pressure. They were thrown in prison. And it says they were threatened. And there's moments of decision for us. We can feel the pressure. I want to encourage you as, my, as your pastor, please stand firm for Jesus. Please stand on the truth. Please hold your ground. Don't bow to different ideas that are not based on Christ. Don't get angry about it. Don't hate. But please know that you're called to follow Jesus. You're called to listen to him and walk in his ways. And I'm saying these things, and I'm not making this into a big moral campaign about it, I'm saying, our message here, we all need Jesus. We all need to submit and follow Jesus. It doesn't matter how you identify or what background or what perspective you have. What our message to you is, you need Jesus. We have found he's got the words of life. They're not easy to follow sometimes, but it's words of life and it's truth. And it helps us to understand who we are in this confused world. And it's wonderful 
he, only Jesus has the truth that sets us free. And that's what we're in in the world today. There's different ideas, different claims. Oh, this truth will set you free. This truth will set you free. Jesus, he's the only one. The truth that he speaks will set us free. That's what we believe. So my question is, are you listening to him? Are you listening to him? Anyone can say they believe in Jesus, but do you listen to him? Do you follow him? When, when, when the world comes and knocks at your door and asks you for allegiance, you're going to be able to say, no, my allegiance is to Jesus. We can't listen to you because we listen to him. That's what they said. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We see Jesus. We love Jesus. We listen to Jesus. We follow Jesus. He's got the words of life. So I've talked about the fact that we're empowered to be his witnesses. Secondly, we live in a world that's not always easy to do that, but we must stand firm on the truth. Where does it go to next? Well, it says in verse 21 that they were, <clears throat> they were threatened, but it says they were let go. Why? <laughs> because basically they couldn't deny the power of God. They couldn't deny the power of God. And it's crazy because this whole episode is anticipated by Jesus. Luke writes about it in his gospel, in Luke chapter 12. Jesus is warning them, this day is going to come, you're going to get in trouble for what you believe and who you are in Christ. And he says, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers, like what's happening now, and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And I believe that's Jesus' encouragement to us today. As I mean, want to commission us to go again this week as witnesses for Christ and tell others about him. In a world that cannot be straightforward to do that. But Jesus, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. I'm with you, says Jesus. I'll give you the words to say. My Holy Spirit is with you. That's why I've sent him to you. And this world can seem like a scary place, but it's a scary place because it's full of broken people that need the love of Jesus. Verse 20, we cannot speak of what we have, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And I want to encourage you today. What have you seen and heard of Jesus? That's your witness. That's your testimony. And that's powerful. That's your weapon. You see, when I'm talking about sharing Jesus with other people, you can think, oh, that's not something I'm good at. Oh, that's for other people. Well, the Bible actually is really helpful in this point to help us to understand that we can all be his witnesses. It says in verse Peter, uh, chapter 3, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared. My question today, if we're talking about being witnesses for Christ, is are you ready? Are you ready to be a witness for Jesus? Because what, what if? What if God answered your prayer? I mean, I'm sure you're praying for your family members or your, your work colleagues or friends that you have that are not Christians. And you're praying for them. What if God answered your prayer? What if one of them turned around to you one day and said, hey, you're a Christian. What, what do you believe in? And what does that mean to you? <laughs> Got on the back foot. Wow. Oh, okay. Um, 
Right, what does the Bible say? Okay, in the beginning, God made the world, and in chapter 3 it went wrong, and then Abraham, you're not going to have time for that. But what do we say? Are you ready with a response? The Jesus says, be ready, so that anyone asks you, you know what to say. I need to think about these things. I've, I've thought about these things. You know, when I was younger, I, anxiety was a big part of my life. I was struggled with it terribly. And I thought that if I became popular and got the attention and affection of other people, that that would help, that would solve my anxiety. But it didn't. I became even more anxious about getting people's approval. But then when I gave my life to Jesus, I realized that he accepted me for who I was. I don't have to prove myself. I'm loved and I'm accepted by him. And now, now my life is not gripped by anxiety. Yeah, there's challenges in life, but I know I don't have to prove myself to other people. I'm loved of God. And that's the difference that Jesus has made in my life. There you go. That's my little testimony. I've just thought about my That's true. It's my story. But I've just thought about that. So that, as the scripture said, if anyone asks me for the reason of hope, I'll tell you. I'll tell you about my story, what Jesus has done for me. See, that's what it means. I've told, I said at the beginning, Jesus filled you with the Holy Spirit because he loves the people in your life. Well, maybe the people in your life, the only pe- person, that, the only Christian they're going to come across is you. And you've got, a, you've got something that Jesus has done in your life. And that's the wonderful thing. It's crazy that Jesus has handed the gospel into our hands. But the wonderful thing is personal. You can talk about Jesus not as an abstract, but what he's done for you. And that resonates with people. Oh, wow, he's changed your life. It speaks to people. It's a wonderful thing. I want to encourage you. Think about it. I've got my little testimony. It's like in my pocket there. <laughs> I've got one of the Emmanuel business cards on my phone as well. So I'm, I want to be, I'm, you know what? I'm not a great evangelist. I'm, I'm not, that's not my skill. That's not, but I want to be ready. And I think we can all be ready, whether we feel that we're confident in these things or not. Just a short testimony. And then you feel equipped to share Jesus with other people. I know Jesus loves me, he loves you, but he loves the people that are not in this room yet. And he's still turning the world upside down by his Holy Spirit through the church. It's crazy. That's the way he's done it. And, and maybe you're here, as I mentioned before, you might be here looking into these things and you're thinking, wow, I'm not sure being a Christian is, is not going to be easy. Well, yeah, there might be challenges. There might be challenges, but it's also a great adventure. It's a great adventure that Jesus leads us. We get to do life with him. We get to make the mistakes. We get to bumble through life, but we also know his joy and his presence and his goodness and his love for us. And that's, that's, what, it's, that's what it's about. And yeah, we can go into the world and feel like it's a scary place and people are speaking with these authoritative voices. And how do we be a Christian? Well, we understand this world is passing away. These ideologies that were created five minutes ago, they'll be gone. But the truth of Christ remains. His kingdom. Sharing Jesus. You see, I, I said I sat, I sat alongside other teachers in, in school listening to this stuff. But I'm also sitting alongside them and I want to witness to them. I want to take opportunities and have a few conversations as a teacher with those other faculty. Because the world can say what it like. I'll tell you about Jesus. He's got words of eternal life. Bring joy and peace into you that the world does not know. 
That's what this is about. We're his witnesses. He's called us. He's empowered us. Don't be afraid. Let me, let me close with just John's words towards the end of John's life. one of the disciples. And he says this, little children, you are from God. And you have overcome. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And that's what Peter and John knew. Oh, they can throw us in prison. They can say what they like about us. But Jesus is at work. He's turning the world upside down. His gospel is good news that brings life to people. And by his grace, maybe he's going to use some of us this week to, to change people's life, turn people's world upside down in your world. Because he loves them. He loves to do it for his kingdom and for his glory. I want to pray for us right now, and then we're going to continue our service. Jesus, we thank you so much that you have come, you have died, you have risen. And you've called us to follow you. And Lord God, I just want to pray right now around the room that for those who are looking in and are not yet Christians, that you would reveal yourself to them and say, this is true. These are words of life. And I pray for those that already know you, Lord, fill us with fresh faith today to be like Peter and John, bold. Bold for you and point people to you and say, this is the Jesus that I know. Help us, Lord, so that many more might be reached with your good news and have their eternal destinies changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.